0: CHAPTER 42 OF BLEAK HOUSE BY CHARLES DICKENS THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN CHAPTER 42 IN MR TULKINGHORN'S CHAMBERS From the verdant undulations and the spreading oaks of the deadlock property, Mr. Tulkinghorn transfers himself to the stale heat and dust of London. His manner of coming and going between the two places is one of his impenetrabilities. He walks into Chesney Wold as if it were next door to his chambers, and returns to his chambers as if he had never been out of Lincoln's Inn fields. He neither changes his dress before the journey, nor talks of it afterwards. He melted out of his turret room this morning, just as now, in the late twilight. He melts into his own square. Like a dingy London bird among the birds that roost in these pleasant fields, where the sheep are all made into parchment, the goats into wigs, and the pasture into chaff, the lawyer, smoke-dried and faded, dwelling among mankind but not consorting with them, aged without experience of genial youth, and so long used to make his cramped nest in holes and corners of human nature that he has forgotten its broader and better range come sauntering home. In the oven made by the hot pavements and hot buildings, he has baked himself drier than usual, and he has in his thirsty mind his mellow port wine half a century old. The lamplighter is skipping up and down his ladder on Mr. Tulkinghorn's side of the fields, when that high priest of noble mysteries arrives at his own dull courtyard. He ascends the doorsteps and is gliding into the dusty hall, when he encounters on the top step a bowing and proprietary little man. Is that Snagsby? Yes, sir. Hope you're well. I was just giving you up, sir, and going home. Aye, what is it? What do you want with me? Well, sir, says Mr Snagsby, holding his hat at the side of his head in his deference towards his best customer. I was wishful to say a word to you, sir. Can you say it here? Perfectly, sir. Say it, then. The lawyer turns, leans his arms on the iron railing at the top of the steps, and looks at the lighter lighting the courtyard. It's relating, says Mr Snagsby in a mysterious low voice, it's relating, not to put too fine a point on it, to the foreigner, sir. Mr. Tulkinghorn eyes him with some surprise. What foreigner? The foreign female, sir, French, if I don't mistake, I'm not acquainted with that language myself but I should judge from her manners and appearance that she was French. Anyway, certainly foreign. Her that was upstairs, sir, when Mr Bucket and me had the honour of waiting upon you with the sweeping boy that night. Oh, yes, Mademoiselle Hortense. Indeed, sir, Mr Snagsby coughs his cough of submission behind his hat. I'm not acquainted myself with the names of foreigners in general, but I have no doubt it would be that. Mr. Snagsby appears to have set out in this reply, with some desperate design, of repeating the name, but on reflection coughs again to excuse himself. And what can you have to say, Snagsby, demands Mr. Tulkinghorn, about her? Well, sir, returns the stationer, shading his communication with his hat, it falls a little hard upon me. My domestic happiness is very great, at least it's as great as can be expected, I'm sure. "'but my little woman is rather given to jealousy. "'Not to put too fine a point upon it, "'she's very much given to jealousy. "'And you see a foreign female of that genteel appearance "'coming into the shop and hovering. Oh, "'I should be the last to make use of such a strong expression. "'If I can avoid it, but hovering, sir, in the court, "'you know it is, you know it ain't. "'I only put it to yourself, sir.' Mr. Snagsby, having said this in a very plaintive manner, throws in a cough of general application to fill up all the blanks. Why, what do you mean? asks Mr. Tulkinghorn. Just so, sir, returns Mr. Snagsby. I was sure you'd feel it yourself, and would excuse the reasonableness of my feelings, when coupled with the known excitableness of my little woman. You see, the foreign female, which you mentioned her name just now, with quite a native sound, I'm sure, caught up the word snagsby that night being uncommon quick and made inquiry and got the direction and had come at dinner-time now guster our young woman is timid and has fits and she taking fright at the foreigner's looks which are fierce and at a grinding manner that she has of speaking which is calculated to alarm a weak mind gave way to it instead of bearing up against it and tumbled down the kitchen stairs out of one into another such fits I do think sometimes and never gone into or come out of in any house but ours. Consequently, there was, by good fortune, ample occupation for my little woman and only me to answer the shop. When she did say that Mr. Tulkinghorn, always being denied to her by his employer, which I had no doubt at the time was a foreign mode of viewing a clerk, she would do herself the pleasure of continually calling at my place until she was let in here. Since then she has been, as I began by saying, hovering, sir, hovering. Mr. Snagsby repeats the word with pathetic emphasis. In the court. The effects of which movement it is impossible to calculate. I shouldn't wonder if it might have already given rise to the painfullest mistakes even in the neighbour's mind. Not mentioning, if such a thing were possible, my little woman whereas well, goodness knows says mr snagsby shaking his head i never had an idea of a foreign female except as being formerly connected with a bunch of brooms and a baby or at the present time with a tambourine and earrings i never had i do assure you sir mr tulkinghorn has listened gravely to this complaint and inquires when the stationer is finished and that's all is it snagsby why yes sir that's all says mr snagsby ending with a cough that plainly adds and it's enough too for me i don't know what mademoiselle hortense may want or mean unless she is mad says the lawyer even if she was you know sir mr snagsby please it wouldn't be a consolation to have some weapon or other in the form of a foreign dagger planted in the family no says the other well well this should be stopped i'm sorry if you've been inconvenienced if she comes again send her here Mr. Snagsby, with much bowing and a short, apologetic coughing, takes his leave, lightened in heart. Mr. Tulkinghorn goes upstairs, saying to himself, These women were created to give trouble the whole earth over. The mistress not being enough to deal with, here's the maid now. But I'll be short with this jade at least. So saying, he unlocks his door, gropes his way into his murky rooms, lights his candles and looks about him. It is too dark to see much of the allegory overhead but that importunate roman who is for ever toppling out of the clouds and pointing at his old work pretty distinctly not honouring him with much attention mr tulkinghorn takes a small key from his pocket unlocks a drawer in which there is another key which unlocks a chest in which there is another and so comes to the cellar key with which he prepares to descend into the regions of old wine he is going towards the door with a candle in his hand when the knock comes. Who's this? Aye, aye, mistress, it's you, is it? You appear at good time. I've just been hearing of you. Now what do you want? He stands the candle on the chimney-piece in the clerk's hall and taps his dry cheek with the key as he addresses these words of welcome to Mademoiselle Hortense. That feline personage with her lips tightly shut and her eyes looking at him sideways softly closes the door before replying i have had a good deal of trouble to find you sir have you i have been here very often sir it always been said to me he is not at home he is engaged he is this he is that he is not for you quite right and quite true not true lies at times there is a suddenness in the manner of mademoiselle hortense so like a bodily spring upon the subject of it that such subject involuntary starts and fails back. It is Mr. Tulkinghorn's case at present, though Mademoiselle Hortense, with her eyes almost shut up, but still looking out sideways, is only smiling contemptuously and shaking her head. "'Now, mistress,' says the lawyer, tapping the key hastily upon the chimney-piece, "'if you have anything to say, say it, say it.' "'Sir, you have not used me well. You have been mean and shabby.' "'Mean and shabbier?' returns the lawyer, rubbing his nose with a key. "'Yes. What is it that I tell you? You know you have. You have trapped me, you have catched me, to give you information. You have asked me to show you the dress of my lady, must have wore that night. You have prayed me to come in it here, to meet that boy. Say it is not. Mademoiselle Hortense makes another spring.' you are a vixen a vixen mr tulkinghorn seems to meditate as he looks distrustfully at her then he replies well wench well i paid you you paid me she repeats with fierce disdain Two sovereign i have not changed them i refuse them i despise them i throw them from me which she literally does taking them out of her bosom she speaks and flinging them with such violence on the floor that they jerk up again into the light before they roll away into corners and slowly settle down there after spinning vehemently now says mademoiselle hortense darkening her large eyes again you have paid me eh my god oh yes mr tulkinghorn rubs his head with a key while she entertains herself with a sarcastic laugh you must be rich my fair friend he composedly observes to throw money about in that way I am rich, she returns, I am very rich in hate. I hate my lady of all my heart. You know that. Know it? How should I know it? Because you have known it perfectly before you prayed me to give you that information. Because you have known perfectly that I was enraged. It appears almost impossible for Mademoiselle to roll the letter R sufficiently in this word. Notwithstanding that, she assists her energetic delivery by clenching both her hands and setting all her teeth oh i knew that did i says mr tulkinghorn examining the wards of the key. yes without doubt i am not blind you have made sure of me because you knew that you had reason i detest her mademoiselle folds her arms and throws this last remark at him over one of her shoulders having said this have you anything else to say mademoiselle i am not yet placed place me well find me a good condition if you cannot or do not choose to do that Employ me to pursue her, to chase her, to disgrace and dishonour her. I will help you well and with a good will. It is what you do. Do I not know that? You appear to know a great deal, Mr. Tulkinghorn retorts. Do I not? Is it that I am so weak as to believe like a child that I come here in that dress to receive that boy only to decide a little bet? A wager? Ah, oh my God, oh yes. In this reply, down to the word wager, inclusive mademoiselle has been ironically polite and tender then has suddenly dashed into the bitterest and most defiant scorn with her black eyes in one and the same moment very nearly shut and staringly wide open now let us see says mr tulkinghorn tapping his chin with the key and looking imperturbably at her how this matter stands ah let us see mademoiselle assents, with many angry and tight nods of her head you come here to make a remarkably modest demand which you have just stated and it not being conceded you will come again and again says mademoiselle with more tight and angry nods and yet again and yet again and many times again in effect for ever and not only here but you will go to mr snagsby's too perhaps that visit not succeeding either you will go again perhaps and again repeats mademoiselle cataleptic with determination and yet again and again and many times again in effect for ever very well now mademoiselle hortense let me recommend you to take the candle and pick up that money of yours i think you will find it behind the clerk's partition in the corner yawn. she merely throws a laugh over her shoulder and stands her ground with folded arms you will not eh no i will not so much the poorer you so much the richer i Look, mistress, this is the key of my wine cellar. It is a large key, but the keys of prisons are larger. In this city there are houses of correction, where the treadmills are, for women, the gates of which are very strong and heavy, and no doubt the keys too. I am afraid a lady of your spirit and activity would find it an inconvenience to have one of those keys turned upon her for any length of time. What do you think?' I think, mademoiselle replies, without any action and in a clear obliging voice, that you are a miserable wretch. Probably returns Mr. Tulkinghorn, quietly blowing his nose, but I don't ask what you think of myself, I ask what you think of the prison. Nothing, what does it matter to me? Why, it matters this much, mistress, says the lawyer, deliberately putting away his handkerchief and adjusting his frill. The law is so despotic here that it interferes to prevent any of our good english citizens from being troubled even by a lady's visits against his desire and on his complaining that he is so troubled it takes hold of the troublesome lady and shuts up in prison under hard discipline turns the key upon her mistress illustrating with a cellar key truly turns mademoiselle in the same pleasant voice that is droll but my faith what is still what does it matter to me "'My fair friend,' says Mr. Tulkinghorn, "'make another visit here, or at Mr. Snagsby's, "'and you shall learn. "'In that case you will send me to the prison, perhaps?' "'Perhaps. "'It would be contradictory for one of Mademoiselle's "'state of agreeable jocularity to foam at the mouth. "'Otherwise a tigerish expansion thereabouts "'might look as if a very little more would make her do it.' "'In a word, mistress,' says Mr. Tulkinghorn, "'I am sorry to be unpolite.' But if you ever present yourself uninvited here or there again i will give you over to the police their gallantry is great but they carry troublesome people through the streets in an ignominious manner strapped down on a board my good wench i will prove you whispers mademoiselle stretching out her hand i will try if you dare to do it and if pursues the lawyer without minding her i place you in that good condition of being locked up in jail it will be some time before you find yourself at liberty again. I would prove you, repeats Mademoiselle in a former whisper. And now, proceeds the lawyer, still without minding her, you'd better go. Think twice before you come here again. Think you, she answers, twice two hundred times. You are dismissed by your lady, you know, Mr. Tulkinghorn observes, following her out on the staircase, as the most implacable and unmanageable of women. Now turn over a new leaf and take warning for what I say to you. For what I say, I mean, and what I threaten, I will do, mistress. She goes down without answering or looking behind her. When she is gone, he goes down too, and returning with his cobweb-covered bottle, devotes himself to leisurely enjoyment of its contents. Now and then, as he throws his head back in his chair, catching sight of the pertinacious Roman pointing from the ceiling. End of chapter 42